you have a Bible, you can meet me in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, if you're a guest of ours, let me say a special welcome to you. My name is Mitch. I have the joy of being one of the pastors and elders of this great body that Jesus is assembling. And uh, last week, uh, we talked about shifting our perspective. You can catch up with that on the podcast. I'm really dabbling with the YouTube channel, so if you search for Beaver Tampa, you can find some of those. Uh, we're not pros yet, but we're working on it. And uh, that's been fun. But as I was thinking about that, you know, in two weeks, we're going we're gonna to kick off another round of city groups. And, you know, theologically, it's the confession of our sin to God that makes us right with God. Now you know that there are two ways of relationship in this life. There is that vertical one that we enjoy with Jesus and the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and He moves. But isn't it interesting that in the book of James we're told that while we can be made right with God, it is through the confession of sin to each other. It's in that community uh, that we actually find healing. So there's forgiveness from God, but he's created us to be in community. And it's in the community of God's people. It's being fully known that healing comes. And so let me just encourage you to get on the website right there in your uh, worship guide that you got on the way in on the back of the happening sheet. Or it is, maybe it is the happening sheet this week. I think it's the better way to say that. Or there's an insert. There's here's what I know. All the information is in your hands. All right. Mallory's holding up in the back, and I'm fumbling the football. But uh, it's all there. And, and let me let me just encourage you to commit yourself to a group of people. And uh, th- this gathering is miraculous. It really is that the family of God, those kids adopted into this family, gather and. As Psalm 111 says, we praise his name in the congregation because we can't help it. It's the overflow of our heart. But it's in relationship with each other that God does his best work. Amen? And so let me encourage you to be in community. It's what you were partially created for. And so uh, as you're thinking about shifting your perspective and as we talk about Jonah's life and we talk about chapter 2 today, um, I think it's important that you understand that your perspective needs to be molded and shaped by the people that are around you uh, in those small groups. So please do that. Now last week we, we kicked it off, and, and I love what Jonah 1.1 says, and it's not going to be on the screen, uh, but, but I want to set up where we're going today, uh, because it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And when I preached about it last week, so you can catch up with that, so I'm not going to do that. But what I want you to think about the fact is, it's, it's a temptation for us to look at that and say, that was what God did for his prophets, right? That, that God would send them a word, right? And maybe even depending on your uh, tradition and your background in church, like that's familiar language to you, that, that God gave me a word. And, and that's fine. But what I do want to point you to is the fact that the word does, in fact, come to you. John 1.1 says that Jesus is the word. And God wrote a book about the Word. And so we call the Bible the Word. But here's my challenge for you as we dive into chapter 2 today. 
The Word of God does come to you. It does. But your choice to run to it or run from it, every time a sermon is preached, every time you open the Word of God and read it, every time we sing it, you're confronted with the Word. And I can just tell you from my own experience that as we talked about last week, Jesus is the greater Jonah. And where Jonah failed, as he sat in that fish for three days and three nights, Jesus succeeded for you and for us. And he created a people. And that's the miracle. But as I was thinking about that, I think it's important that we go and look at why Jesus is the greater Jonah. Look at Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to throw that up on the screen. And uh, listen to this. Because this is Jesus talking, right? And the scribes and Pharisees come to him and say, and say to him, Teacher, I'm sure that was sarcastic. I'm sure it was. But he says, We wish to see a sign from you. Yeah, don't we all? Right? And so they're asking him this. But listen to his answer. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. <laughs> Just kidding. No signs, please. Right? But then Jesus does give them something, doesn't he? Isn't it interesting? He's like, you evil people. But then he gives them one, but not the one they wanted. It says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, listen to this, something greater than Jonah is here. What a powerful thing. So what Jesus is saying is, what Jonah delivered to Nineveh in part and through a sign, and through the preaching, and through the looking forward to Jesus, you and I actually have Jesus. Right? Because that's what John was doing. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. But then it says that the Word came, and His own received Him not. And He went to the cross, and paid the penalty for you and I to have a relationship with Him, and a relationship with each other. That has hope and meaning and purpose. And so here's Jonah, right? We, where we left him last week was in the belly of a fish, right? And I told you not to get caught up on the fish because there's remarkably little written about the fish. I mean, if you and I were going to tell a story, right? And we were going to have a guy getting swallowed by a fish, especially if it really happened, I would put some more detail into that, wouldn't you? Like, this massive fish swallowed me, and I lived. And it was awesome and horrifying. And I would tell, I would build the story, right? That's not what happens. It's fascinating, really. But what happens in chapter 2, while Jonah is literally in the belly of a fish... 
a fish that rescued him nonetheless. Because <laughs> he didn't die. The fish actually saves his life because God appointed and sent the fish. What happens in chapter 2 is Jonah writes a song. Jonah writes a poem. A prayer. To God. And I'm going to be honest with you. It, it caught me off guard this week as I was studying it. Because it's interesting it's, it's, it's really easy, I'll say it this way, to just grab chapter 2 and separate it, right? And just look at it and say, you know, how should we pray? How, how should we pray in this, in this season we're in? But I think we have to remember what's going on. This is a song and a poem that Jonah writes inside of a fish as a response to life. Jonah is responding to his life. He's responding in the midst of massive trouble. It isn't theory or imagination or even a hallucination. Jonah's struggling with his life. This is why the Bible's timeless because you know what? I, I, I would be willing to bet a lot of money, even though I'm not going to do it. That a lot of us, if we were to just peel the mask off, we struggle with this life a lot. Now, some of you, I know your story and I know the struggles that you are in. But here's Jonah struggling with all that, knowing that he isn't who he ought to be. And scripture tells us that he's stressed. He's distressed. Some of your translations will say. So let's look at it. Let's look at chapter two here. It's relatively short. Here's what the Word of God says. Verse 1, chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And doesn't this give you great hope? And he answered me. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. In other words, out of, out, of, out of the belly of my own personal hell. That's what he's saying. I cried. We can identify with that, can't we? But here's hope again. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you 
What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What a story. What a prayer. What a response. Surely, that makes sense to all of us. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. What's your gut reaction in your distress? I mean, let's, let's get right into it this morning, right? What about your life? You might not be in a literal fish, <laughs> obviously. But you might be very underwater financially, emotionally, mentally, relationally. I've walked through the darkest times in my own head or even in ministry. And this life isn't always simple and easy. In fact, most of the time it's not. It's very gray and a lot of times really dark. And so I I spent some time thinking about that. And even about just our world. Like let's back out of our own personal life and let's just look at the world that we live in. I was on a website called The Atlantic. Can't recommend it. Don't spend a lot of time there. But they did this thing called, some of you are laughing like, You shouldn't. (laughs) But they do this thing called photos of a decade. Are you aware that we just closed a decade and are beginning a new decade? You know, and if you dive in a little bit and see the symbolism and the imagery and then just think about like God can do a new thing. Always, right? That's what scripture says. His mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so I grabbed a few of these pictures because I think it just paints a picture of and just reminds us, and I don't want to get too morbid or, or too like negative because we're going we're gonna to bring this full circle and talk about Jesus. But I think it's important for us to look at the, the condition of the world we live in. This was a wild 10 years if you think about it. And I'm not even going to grab some of the most controversial, but I'm going to grab a few. All right, so look at this first one. This first one's a picture from Japan. I mean, just the force of nature flooding into their city. There's just nothing you and I can do to control that, right? Like, we like to be in control. We like to have our plan. We like to know exactly. I mean, when they bought or built that waterfront property, I'm sure they had fishing in mind, not dying, right? There's just things that we can't control. And there was a lot of this around our world last decade. Natural disasters, just almost constant. And I mean, we could spend the rest of our time just looking at those photos. So there's that. Now go to the, go to the picture of, of Haiti. Just a, a man with his outstretched hand over people. Dozens of them that lost their life. And it just makes you realize, it shifts your perspective, right? There's just things that we aren't in control of. Go, go to the next one. This was in the Middle East and just after a tragedy. I mean, look at their buildings and look at the sheer amount of people that are gathered there. 
shifts your perspective. Go to the next one. This certainly was a picture of our decade, wasn't it? Just the protesting. People standing up to power. I'm not not even diving into who's right and wrong. Go to the next one. This was an interesting photo because it was just a, a woman and yet it was a photo from the Black Lives Matter movement. And you just look at our decade and you realize this is a complicated place. It's a really complicated place. And yet in the midst of the chaos, look at this next picture. There's beauty, isn't there? I mean, that's the northern lights. I mean, I mean, think about all that's going on on the earth and yet sitting on the top of the earth <laughs> is beauty. You know, and we, we need to go into that space and recognize that sitting outside of the chaos is a God who created everything. And even if we can't understand all of the intricacies of the issues, but we do know that we have a God who is trustworthy. And even though we have broken things severely on this earth, He sits outside of time and he sees what is possible. He sees what he made in Genesis chapter 1 and called good. Even in the midst of the brokenness, what I want you to know today is that even in your distress, there is beauty in the brokenness. There's good. I think I have another one. For the first time, we got to really see what Pluto's surface was like. Just the power of God. Just the power of God. And, and so Jonah's in the first half of these photos, right? He's in his distress. He's in a real problem. And he responds by calling out to God. He responds in verse 7. When his life was fainting away, he remembers the Lord. Here's what I know to be true from my own life experience and just from walking with you is that God's office is at the end of your rope. As long as you think you can handle it, he's going to let you think that you can handle it. And that's the most gracious thing he can do. Because God has two words, right? He has his law which shows you who you are and shows you what you need. And the beauty in the thing that separates the God of the Bible, the one true God from every other one, is he doesn't just leave you in that place to fend for yourself. See, that's the greater sign, right? That's the sign that Jonah gave us is that three days later, God would step out of the tomb. Jesus Christ would rise and give victory where nobody else and no other God could. So that's our hope. It's our hope, but he will let you run. The hound of heaven will track you down, though. He'll find you, and that's good news. So I don't know about you, but I certainly don't doubt that in a a group this size, somebody is running from the Lord. And I mean, like most of the time, we're really good at faking it. Things are great. How you doing? Awesome. 
give a thumbs up when we're not, right? I mean, underneath of that is life. Uh, There's another translation, the NET, that says in that scripture, when my life was ebbing away, (laughs) the, the Hebrew word there literally means to grow weak. We often think about growing as I'm growing, I'm getting stronger and I'm 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 killing it and I'm I'm doing it. But Jonah literally says, I'm growing, but I'm growing weak. I am growing more and more weak. It's like the weakness is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Maybe you feel like that today. Stressed out, lying, hiding. Maybe, maybe you're just in this place that I find myself in way too often, just worshiping yourself. What do I need? How do I feel? How do I do this? How do... It's just easy. I mean, Kent was right on when he prayed. And it's just so easy to close in. It's just so easy to do that. I do it every week. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Every week. Woe is me. And yet, here's Jonah and he prays. And he prays. I want to I zero in on verse 8 and 9 just briefly with you. And I want to give you, if you're taking notes there, I think you have some, some blanks there. I want to give you four pillars to Jonah's conversation with God here. I want to give you four things that you can look at and hang your life on. These four things uh, put into practice will change things. They, they absolutely will change things for you this week. But before we even start, I just want you to know that they're difficult. You're not going to be able to do them on your own. You're going to have to pray. Why do we start our year with 21 days of prayer? Because we just have to recognize that this year, not going to be what I want it to be. Even if I do great, without Jesus. So four pillars that can serve us as we pray in the spirit of prayer and ask God to fill us and do a work in us together as the body of Christ and in the church nationally, globally, together for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So here's four pillars. Number one, Jonah ditches the idols. I mean, just absolutely. Jonah ditches the idols. Later in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John, the, one of the close ones with Jesus, one of his closest friends, some say his best friend on earth, said this. You can just see Grandpa John grabbing you by the face. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Another translation says, guard yourself from idols. We have to do this. There are so many things that lie to you on a daily basis that they will give you satisfaction and they never will. Even good things that are just never going to satisfy you. And I know you know it because you live it. You get the stuff you want. I've told you about my wanter before, right? Camden calls it my wanter. And uh, we've been married for a long time. And uh, she's just like, it's your wanter. And I'm like, I know. More. (laughs) And then you get it and you're like, "Mm." (laughs) 
I want that. <laughs> and you're like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing because we get it. Like we think these things are going to deliver and they just don't. Even awesome things like like being a parent or finding a relationship. And, you know, I was listening to somebody else just a week or two ago and he talks about like the things that we pray for. And then God gives it to us and we're like, God, why'd you give me that? Right? And you're like, wow, that that makes so much sense. You're like, I prayed for a wife for a long time and now my wife is the source of all my problems. <laughs> and then you realize she's right here, so I'm going to get in trouble later. And then you realize, actually, I'm the source of all her problems. <laughs> you know, like now the truth comes out, right? And you're just like, wow, like, the things of this world, they just don't deliver, even the good ones. We pray for kids and then we have them. We're like, ooh. <laughs> and then they start to grow up and you're like, man, that's worse than not sleeping, sort of. You get the point. Jonah ditches the idols and we have to do it because they're not going to deliver. I love what he says. He says, we'll be lost without the steadfast love of God. In the midst of all of the pain, all of the brokenness, what do you lean into as you let go of your idols? You see, you can't just let go of the idols and and just be floating there. You have to fill your hands with something else. As you let go of the idols... And you embrace the steadfast love of God. It's in that spot you find freedom. It's in that spot as you cry out to God and let go of your idols that you will find satisfaction. And Jonah's response to that then, and this is the natural progression as less of me happens, as my idols go away, as I release those, Less of me. Number two, Jonah commits to publicly praise God. What do you fill that? What do you backfill into that space you just created in your heart and soul? More God. Right? John the Baptist said it the best. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. I mean, that's a simple life statement, right? Like, what do I want my life to look like? What's my rule of life going to be this year? Less of me, more of him. And we'll be off to a great running start. Amen? So Jonah commits to publicly praise God. Why why is that so important? Because we're family, right? Like we're family. Like he's, he's our dad, God the Father. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says this, Whoever then acknowledges me before people, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Like what a, what a beautiful give and take where he went first, securing your spot. It's his move first that allows you to rise and walk. I love the imagery here. As Jonah sinks downward in that fish, God begins to rise in his life. That's not an accident, friends. As, as we are pushed low, God will rise high. Our vision has to go up. It has to go up. It has to go higher than what is happening right in front of us. It has to. So Jonah 
publicly praises God. He says, I'm going to do the vow. I'm going to follow the covenant. So number three, Jonah commits to follow God's call. He just commits to follow the call. He's like, man, I know, like Nineveh, I'm going to die. I talked a little bit last week of how nice the Ninevites were. Not at all. They wrote the book on terrorism. But Jonah just says, I'm going to follow. I'm just, I'm just going to follow God's call here. First Peter 1.10, Peter writes this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort, every effort to be sure of your calling and election. Like you can totally understand why Jonah ran the first time. He was not sure about his calling. That had some very real consequences, didn't it? Potentially. Now we know the end of the story because of Veggie Tales. And because we can read the book, right? But just put yourself where Jonah was at as he's in the in a fish. <laughs> he's in a fish crying out to the Lord. And he's like, I'm just gonna follow. Like I'm just I'm gonna do what you called me to do. He forsakes the idols grabs onto that steadfast love of God. And then he says in verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. I'm going to publicly praise. And then he says this, what I have vowed, I will pay. I'm just going to follow the call of God. But then he says this statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. Number four, if you're taking notes, Jonah is crystal clear on where the power for the plan is. He is crystal clear. Salvation. You see, because he says a lot of things that he's going to do, but he recognizes, regardless of what he's going to do, even if they're good things, even if they're faithful things, like it, it still belongs to the Lord. Like the outcome of his life, the outcome of your life, the outcome of your kid's life, the outcome of your job, the outcome of your finances, all of it just belongs to the Lord. And that will either crush you if you don't know Jesus or it will give you great hope. Because if you know him, you know how faithful and steadfast he really is. Because listen to what listen to what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 and 24 say. Now may the God of peace, don't you love that? May the God of peace not confusion, not chaos, not weight, not anything. The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctification has a lot less to do with you figuring out how to get better and a whole lot more of you figuring out how to walk with Jesus. More of him, less of me. More of him, right? Sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Not you and I. Well, we're just, we're called to surrender. I'm going to follow God's call. I'm going to be crystal clear on where the power is. Who's got this? And it's not me. Because while our role matters, the most important aspect is to realize that we've got to surrender. 
We can't control as much as we want to. It just doesn't work. I've tried it. You've tried it. It just doesn't work. And even if it's working now, I just want you to know it's not going to work. Even if it works for this whole life, like you do really well this whole life from a worldly perspective, what does Jesus tell us when he was walking on earth? What does it gain you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What does it gain you if you have everything you want here? All the idols of your heart met. You got all of it. Everything you want. But you lost your soul. You've lost. You've lost. But isn't it amazing that this is the place that Jesus meets you. The scripture says that while you were still a sinner... Not after you cleaned up, not after you let go of the idols. He went first, says, while you were a sinner, Christ died for us. How powerful, how powerful. So here's what I, here, here's why I want to wrap this up and we're going to take communion together. What's really in view here in chapter two? What's really in view what is the point? Is it so we can pray better? Is it to take those pillars, apply them to our life and do a better job? It's not. That is not the point here. Those are things that will ring true. You can hang your hat on it because it's in the word of God. But what's really in view here? What's really in view here is the gospel. It's, it's, it's being drawn into this realistic picture of how the gospel actually affects your life every single day. See, because the gospel is not just so you can get saved and then you're on your own. The, the gospel is good news, not good advice. And, and here's why, because in verse 3, Jonah says, You threw me into the deep water. And God's like, I did. You're welcome. Because without it, without being drawn into the water, overwhelmed with life, without verse 4, I thought I had been banished from you. Verse 6a, I was down, I was rock bottom. Without that perspective, that, that law coming to you and letting you know who you really are, <laughs> you'll never know the glories of God's mercy. You'll just never will. You'll never appreciate all that God has for you and is doing and done for you and for us and to bring us together. It's amazing because verse 6, the end of it. So after he's been thrown down, he says, you know what? You threw me down, but God, you brought me up. And verse 7 is this astonishing reality that when our lives are ebbing away, when they're fainting away, Without hope, if you'll just cry out to God, He'll hear you. He'll listen. He'll listen. The bookends of this chapter, chapter 2, are awesome. Jonah prays from the fish and God delivers him from the fish. <laughs> it's awesome. 
And, and I want you to know that when God had the fish vomit Jonah out, it wasn't back in Jerusalem. You know where God had him vomit him out? On a dry land? Back on mission. Because next week, verse 1 of chapter 3, God's going to say, the word's going to come to Jonah, and he's going to say, okay, now walk into Nineveh. And Jonah's going to have to do it. But he's going to do it with a different perspective. You know, there's nothing in this life that's going to fill the void that you have in your life. No amount of busyness, no amount of work, no amount of money, no amount of toys, no amount of any idol that you can grab onto. It's going to satisfy. But there is life and beauty available to you in the gospel. The announcement that Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself. It's available to you right now. So if you're at rock bottom or if you're at mountaintop, regardless, you need Jesus today. You need your eyes to be lifted even higher than you find yourself because you need Him. And He'll surely meet you there. But if you won't, He'll wait and he'll track you down and he'll meet you there. It may take a minute. You may pray as we take communion right now and just restore that relationship or enter into it for the first time. Or you may take 10 years. Time doesn't work like that for God. (laughs) He'll find you. But can I encourage you to not wait another second I just encourage you in these next moments when we grab these elements, the body and blood of Christ, that you would just cry out to Him. Listen, your stress is going to look different than mine. But you have it. I know you do. Even if you won't tell me. I know you do. Jonah was finally willing to look up. It took a lot. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about takes a lot to get us to look up. But when he did, God moved in and he began to change things. He didn't change the mission. God's still after his glory. But he shifted some things around in Jonah's heart. And he'll do that for you. And he'll give you that desire to be more like Jesus. And Jonah was then able to take God at his word and look at that city of Nineveh with God's perspective.